Welcome to Role Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 66 Rick Loomis, Michael A. Stackpole, Elizabeth T. Danforth, and Ken St. Andre. When we're working up an episode of this show, we try to do one topic per show. We have done multiple shows over the past year and change with two topics, but more than two don't happen very often. We did three topics last week, and we've done three a few other times, but off the top of my head, I can only think of one other episode where we've covered four topics at once, and ironically enough, it was also an episode on creators. I probably could have split this episode into two shows and gone a bit deeper on each of our subjects, but these four individuals have been tied together so many times over the years, I felt it was only appropriate to maybe do a bit less on each person and do an episode with the four of them together. So, without further ado, let's crank up the tour bus and get this show on the road with our first subject today, the founder of the Flying Buffalo Feast, Rick Loomis. Richard F. Rick Loomis was born on August 24th, 1946 in Scottsdale, Arizona. He grew up in Scottsdale and graduated from Coronado High School. Starting in 1969, he spent a three-year stint in the U.S. Army and was stationed at Fort Shafter on the island of Oahu in Hawaii. While still in the Army, he was introduced to the Avalon Hill war game Gettysburg when he found it in a toy store, and he admitted in multiple reviews over the years that he was enthralled with the game. In late 1969, he took the next step in what would be a very long history in the gaming industry when he created a game of his own, which we've discussed briefly before, Nuclear Destruction. Loomis did something a little different with Nuclear Destruction than had been done in tabletop games in the past, as hidden movement was allowed as a part of those rules. In January of 1970, Loomis started reaching out by mail to readers of the magazine The General, who had been inquiring about play-by-mail game opponents. Those letters Loomis was sending were offers to moderate multiplayer games of Nuclear Destruction. Within a short period of time, he had over 200 players signed up playing multiple games, and he'd enticed his fellow soldier Steve McGregor to write a computer program to moderate the games. Now, we covered this portion of the history during the episode about Flying Buffalo, so you can check it out in the archives for the rest of the story about how Loomis and McGregor got themselves into the play-by-mail business. Loomis was discharged from the Army in 1972 and decided to head off to Arizona State University on a part-time basis, eventually earning his degree in accounting. Around this same time, Loomis and McGregor incorporated the fledgling company they'd started while in the Army as Flying Buffalo Incorporated. We mentioned in the show about Flying Buffalo that the two pooled their savings to purchase a Raytheon 704 computer to run their games, and I broke that down a bit from a financial standpoint during that episode. What I didn't mention at the time was that Loomis claimed on more than one occasion over the years that he was the first person to buy a computer solely to play games on it. While that may or may not be true, I'm, I'm not going to argue with it. Shannon Applecline reported in her 2014 book Designers and Dragons, the 70s, A History of the Role-Playing Industry, that, quote, the computer cost $14,000 and came with 4K of memory, a teletype input, and a tape reader and punch for mass storage. For years afterwards, games were saved as rolls of paper hung from nails on a wall. Later in 1972, Loomis and Flying Buffalo acquired the game Nuclear War and began publishing it as well. As another entry in the play-by-mail offerings for the company, it eventually came one of the company's best-selling titles. The game that brought me to begin researching Flying Buffalo in the first place began its association with Rick Loomis in 1975. That year, Ken St. Andre asked Loomis to take 40 copies of Tunnels and Trolls to Origins in July of that year to sell. 
all 40 copies sold, and they sold rather quickly, which led Loomis and the company to pick up the rights to the game later that year and crank out the second edition under their own imprint. That was December of 1975. Again, we've covered Tunnels and Trolls in another episode of this podcast, so if you want the entire history, check out the episode in the archives. Next up for Loomis was a suggestion from a friend of his. This friend, who for some reason has never really been named, suggested that it would be interesting if someone would create a dungeon adventure that would allow a player to choose an answer in a book and turn to another page. In other words, a solo adventure. Loomis took the suggestion and wrote Buffalo Castle, which released in 1976. Buffalo Castle was actually created to be an introduction to Tunnels and Trolls, so the rules used within the book matched up for the most part with the rules of the game and was a basic dungeon adventure for a first or second level fighter. And again, we've covered solo adventures in a previous episode, which is available in the archives if you're interested. I think we're noticing a theme here. 1976 also brought a play-by-mail game that has won a number of Origins Awards, among other accolades over the years, Starweb. Over the years, Starweb continued to be a game Loomis would return to, update, and release new versions of, and it was apparent from a number of different interviews he did over the years that as much as he loved so many of the games he'd been responsible for over the years, Starweb might very well have been the one he loved the most. On August 19, 1978, Rick Loomis was elected as a temporary officer to be the president and treasurer of the Association of Game Manufacturers, which eventually changed its name to the Game Manufacturers Association, or GAMMA for short. Loomis was one of those responsible for the founding of Gamma and was its president on a number of occasions. He eventually was one of the few remaining emeritus directors of Gamma, along other legends such as Will Niebling and the man we'll be discussing next, Michael A. Stackpole. Grimstooth's Traps was one of Loomis's next big ideas. Released in 1981, it was a collection of traps Loomis collected from various contributors. The book was well-reviewed and sold well enough to warrant a sequel, Grimstooth Traps 2, in 1982. 1983 bought a little bit of controversy to Loomis and Flying Buffalo. Nuclear Escalation was a card game the company released that year and was one of the games specifically named as a part of a ban in the United Kingdom on all war-related toys. Two MPs of the UK's Labour Party called the game, quote, a nasty twist on the toy industry, end quote. Loomis had a laugh about this when he was interviewed by the Ottawa Citizen during the discussion about the ban. He stated, quote, The game is intended to be humorous. The subject is so serious that you have to laugh about it because otherwise you'd cry. End quote. In 1985, Flying Buffalo took a temporary hit when the lease on their headquarters ran out. Loomis wasted zero time moving the company offices to a farmhouse he owned in Scottsdale, Arizona, and the company didn't miss a beat. That same year, Rick tied for first place for the title of Best PBM Moderator as determined by the first annual Paper Mayhem Awards, which were revealed in the November-December 1985 issue of the magazine. For the record, he tied with Mike Williams from Rebel Enterprises. We, we might cover Mike in another episode, so we're going to leave that right there for now. The editors of Space Gamer magazine gave Loomis their own tribute in 1985, stating that, quote, Rick Loomis is generally recognized as the founder of the PBM industry, end quote. If you're really looking for a cool factoid about Rick Loomis, here's one that might win you a gaming trivia night. Through the mid-1990s or so, Rick Loomis was only one of six people who'd attended every Origins game fair since its creation in 1975. And I believe, up until his death, he still hadn't missed one. 
I have to check on that at some point. And I gotta be honest, Origins loved him back. In 1988, Loomis was awarded the AAGAD Hall of Fame Award at the 1988 fair. The late 80s and 1990s brought a number of ups and downs for Flying Buffalo, but we're gonna fast forward to 2002. In 2002, Loomis created a game specifically for the Origins conventions, which he called the Origins Metagame. Tried to find some info on this, but it seems that those that were a part of it haven't really spoken a lot about it. Kind of like Fight Club, we don't talk about it. However, if and when I finally find something, we'll drop it either as a website or a YouTube exclusive, so be on the lookout. Rick later decided that the game needed a little something else, so he designed and printed poker decks for the game and for the con. Around this same time, Loomis was made aware that Outlaw Press, who'd been publishing Tunnels and Trolls supplements under license, were using artwork they weren't licensed to use and didn't have permission to use. His response was to yank Outlaw Press's license. Enough said. In 2013, it was time for a new edition of Tunnels and Trolls. As we mentioned in the TNT episode, the version, which was presented as a deluxe version, was handled by Kickstarter and earned over $125,000. Therefore, it earned its 2015 release. This release has been credited by many, Loomis being one of them, for stoking the fire of new interest in the game, as well as interest in the production of new adventures for it, as well as reprints of the old adventures. Rick Loomis took the lead in overseeing the logistics behind the new products, as well as his role as the publisher for Flying Buffalo. Around this time, there was also interest in an updated version of Buffalo Castle, so Loomis wrote a brand new section for that game and added it to the deluxe version of TNT. Needless to say, the increase in interest in Flying Buffalo product continued as the 20-teens rolled on. Next up on the update list was Nuclear War, which got a Kickstarter for the 50th anniversary edition in 2015. And again, the Kickstarter was a great success, bringing in over $156,000, earning itself a 2016 release. Rick Loomis designed a new population deck and additional cards for this release, by the way, and they were all added to the main deck. In January of 2019, Rick was hit with a major issue in his life as he was diagnosed with lymphatic cancer. At the time, he released an email, which was reposted by fans and friends who'd seen it, where he stated he was very optimistic about his chances at recovery because his cancer was, quote, very treatable, end quote. And he didn't let his cancer diagnosis slow him down. In March of 2019, the company announced yet another Kickstarter, promoting a new combined edition of Mercenary Spies and Private Eyes, which combined the 1983 Flying Buffalo release with the 1986 Sleuth release. Loomis oversaw the integration of the two books, the correction of Errata, and the addition of 20 new pages of content and new illustrations. The campaign was a success, earning $31,904 on a goal of 10 grand and was released in early 2020. However, Rick Loomis wouldn't see the release. On August 17th, 2019, Rick was moved to the intensive care unit at a local Scottsdale hospital, and it was made clear he wouldn't be allowed to see visitors at that time, though he was allowed visitors on August 21st. At that time, both a GoFundMe and a bundle of holding were set up to try to get donations to help Rick with his medical bills, which if you've ever experienced cancer, you know can be astronomical. And while Rick fought to the very end, that end came the day before his 73rd birthday. On August 23rd, 2019, Rick Loomis passed away due to medical complications related to his lymphatic cancer. Normally, I have some funny quip or cutesy aside when I bring a subject to a close, but in this case, all I can say is this. Thank you for what you brought to the game world, Rick Loomis. Godspeed to you. Let's go ahead and dig into our second topic today, Michael A. Stackpole. 
Michael Austin Stackpole was born in Wausau, Wisconsin on November 27th, 1957. His family moved to Vermont when he was a child, and that's where he grew up. Now, Stackpole doesn't get into his personal life very much in interviews, so we really don't have a whole lot of information about his childhood or the events leading up into his entry into the publication world. We do know he has a BA in history from the University of Vermont, and we also know he lives in Scottsdale, Arizona, as we record this program. Another thing we do know about Michael Stackpole is that he's been a very prolific producer of materials in numerous areas. And rather than do the timeline like we did for Rick Loomis, we're going to organize Michael's history by the various mediums he's been involved with over the years. And since this is a podcast about tabletop role-playing games, we'll start with his career as a game designer. In 1977, Stackpole submitted his work for a solo adventure for Tunnels and Trolls to Flying Buffalo. You would know that adventure as City of Terrors, which was released in 1978. Flying Buffalo was so impressed with his work, he was hired on at the company full-time. In addition to his work on numerous games for Flying Buffalo, Michael also took on the task of writing articles covering gaming industry news and reviews for the company's magazine, Sorcerer's Apprentice. One of the titles he was involved in was Mercenary, Spies, and Private Eyes, which was released in 1983. And as we mentioned a few moments ago, that game was popular enough to warrant a Kickstarter for a new edition in 2019. Getting into some of his column work for Flying Buffalo, Stackpole worked his way towards the front of the line in defending the role-playing community against the occult and Satan-worshipping arguments made during the 1980s. He released his first article defending the game in Sorcerer's Apprentice No. 14 in the spring of 1982. The article was called Devil Games? Nonsense! and laid out his counter-arguments about occult and Satanistic influences on the hobby. He was such a defender of the hobby, he even went so far as to debate the Western Regional Director of Pulling's Bad Organization in a radio program broadcast on July 14th, 1987. I'll mention who Pulling is in just a minute. During the debate, he pointed at statistics that Bad had been using about the suicides among gamers and noted that when you look at the rate of general teen suicides, you'd notice that the percentage of role players committing suicide was actually lower than those who weren't. Stackpole would later build on what he'd discussed during the debate in an article in the 1989 book Satanism in America called The Truth About Role-Playing Games. He also dropped the Pulling Report in 1990, which took apart the arguments of Patricia Pulling, who was the face of the anti-gaming establishment that had been pushing the occult and satanic arguments going on at the time. See, I told you I'd tell you who she was. And if you get the chance to read some of these pieces of his, I strongly suggest you do. These aren't pieces based solely on emotion and opinion. Stackpole took the time to do his research and provides facts and figures to combat the information provided by pulling and bad at the time. Overall, it's a very interesting read. When the Star Wars customizable card game came along a number of years later, Stackpole lent his image to the producers for the image of Koran Horn that they used in the game. Decipher was responsible for that game, and he worked with them again on the Wars TCG, for which he wrote the background story, as well as some ebooks and other tie-ins. Stackpole also spent time writing for video games. This began in 1980 when Rick Loomis, Stackpole, and the president of Coleco met at a gaming and pinball convention. He worked for Coleco from 1980 to 1981 before moving on, and we'll get to that in a minute. I did want to note here that Stackpole left Flying Buffalo in 1985 after the company moved to Scottsdale. So his next move was to Interplay Productions, where he worked on a number of different titles, including Bard's Tale 3, Neuromancer, and he worked on a couple of Star Trek licensed games. He also worked with Ken St. Andre and Elizabeth T. Danforth to create Wasteland for Interplay, which was based on his previous creation, Mercenaries, Spies, and Private Eyes. 
I mentioned uh, Gamma during the Rick Loomis section of this show, and I noted that he'd been one of the few remaining emeritus directors. Stackpole was another, at least until he resigned from the board in January of 2019 due to what he described as the inactivity of the association and the poor handling of an incident involving then-president of Gamma, Stephen Prasad. For a prolific writer such as Michael Stackpole, it shouldn't be any surprise he's written a number of novels over the years. His first was actually written in 1986. The book Talion Revenant took his editors by surprise since it clocked in at 175,000 words. The editors told him that there was no way a book of that size from an unknown writer was going to sell, and they further insulted him by saying the book really wasn't all that engaging. He later began working with editor Anne Leslie Grohl, who reworked the copy, and it was finally released by Bantam Books in 1997. Michael detailed the issues and made sure perceived issues he had concerning the project were cleared up in an afterword he wrote for that release. He spent a lot of time writing books in the Battletech universe. His first published novels were the Warrior Trilogy of titles that came out for FASA between 1988 and 1989. He's also responsible for the last novels that FASA directly published, the Blood of Kerensky Trilogy between 1989 and 1991. By the way, for you Battletech animated series fans, uh, that 1994 show was set during the events of that final trilogy. So if you really liked it, thank Michael Stackpole. He also wrote novels based on the dark conspiracy role-playing game from GDW. A trilogy of books was released in 1992, A Gathering Evil, Evil Ascending, and Evil Triumphant. Dun-dun-dun. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Fans of some of the Expanded Universe series of Star Wars books will probably have read some of his works as well. Bantam Books specifically chose him to write books in the line, and he wrote five books in the X-Wing series, Rogue Squadron, Wedge's Gamble, and the Krytos Trap in 1996, the Bacta War in 1997, and Izard's Revenge in 1999. He also wrote I, Jedi in 1998, and then closed out his band run with two books in the new Jedi Order series, Dark Tide 1 and Dark Tide 2 in 2000. Stackpole spent time working on Star Wars comics as well. At first, his books covered the period of time just before his X-Wing series of novels. However, he later worked on the graphic novel Union, which covered the marriage of Luke Skywalker and Mara Jade, then worked with Timothy Zahn on some of the aspects of Mara Jade's early life and career. Zahn respected Stackpole's work so much, he specifically thanked Michael in the foreword to his novel Outbound Flight. He also challenged Michael to a game of Star Wars Trivial Pursuit, and I want to be a fly on the wall for that game, just so we're clear. He has continued to write books in the fantasy and sci-fi realm over the years, with his most recent release being The Crusader Road, which was released by Paizo in 2014. So he's designed role-playing games, written for video games, written novels, written comic books, and that would be enough for like two or three careers for most writers. But that's not all he's done. He writes and publishes an online newsletter called The Secrets. He shares his tips, tricks, and tidbits to those who want to get into fiction writing, though his advice does tend to focus on sci-fi and fantasy. As a part of this, he gives advice about how to get published, which means I need to check this out so I can get my book published. Maybe. The newsletter does require a subscription, and he drops new issues every two weeks. He's also got a couple of podcasts out there. One of them is the companion piece to The Secrets, which is a free show. While his first 10 shows pretty much followed the newsletters, what he's been doing since don't tend to stick to them. He's also one of the main hosts on the Dragon Page Cover to Cover, which is a book review and interview show that focuses on fantasy and sci-fi. 
and I'm still not done. Since 1988, Stackpole has been the executive director of the Phoenix Skeptics and is listed as the contact for their group in the magazine Skeptical Inquirer. Lastly, on March 23rd, 2001, David B. Healy discovered an outer main belt asteroid and named it 165612 Stackpole in honor of Michael. For those who are interested in a full list of the various books Michael has written over the years, there are a number of places you can check. You can check his author's page on Amazon, his entry, or Wikipedia, or you can Google search his name and check the list there. If you're a fan of the genre, I would recommend highly that you check out some of those titles. Next up on our tour is Elizabeth T. Danforth. Now, I normally get into early life history in this part of a discussion of a personality on my show. But Liz Danforth is even more protective of that information than Michael Stackpole or any number of others we profiled. What I've been able to dig up is that she's got a BA in anthropology from Arizona State and an MLS from the University of Arizona. And yes, she's done some work in academia. We'll get to that in a bit. But since this is a show about gaming, let's start there. Danforth was hired in 1978 by Flying Buffalo to be a staff artist and production person. Her primary assignment was the company magazine, Sorcerer's Apprentice, which produced 17 issues between 1978 and 1983. On top of that, she also got the task of being the editor and developer for the fifth edition of Tunnels and Trolls, which is a job she took again when the most recent edition was released in 2013. Outside of her work for Flying Buffalo, Danforth has made a name for herself as a freelance artist in both the fantasy and sci-fi genres. For those of you who are into dates, the majority of her work in this area took place between 1976 and 2004. And the companies she's worked for are a who's who of the gaming industry. Wizards of the Coast, TSR, Alderac Entertainment Group, Fossa Corporation, Iron Crown Enterprises, GDW. And those are just the big names. She's produced work for a number of other publishers, many of whom no longer exist, and others that would be considered minor players in the business. So if you think you've never seen her work before, <laughs> think again. She's done card artwork for Legend of the Burning Sands, Legend of the Five Rings, Magic the Gathering, Battletech collectible card game, as well as illustrations for Lord of the Rings adventure game and Middle-Earth role-playing game. She's also done cover work and some writing for a number of different novels within the industry over the years. Liz has also spent time working in the video game world, teaming up with Michael Stackpole for Wasteland and two Star Trek games for Interplay. She was also the lead developer for New World Computing's Tunnels and Trolls game and has worked on projects for Electronic Arts. That'd be EA for those of you who didn't know. Much like her colleagues and fellow subjects of today's show, Liz has picked up a ton of honors over the years. At the 1995 Origins Award, she was inducted into the Academy of Gaming Arts and Designs Hall of Fame. She's a lifetime member of ASFA, which is the Association of Science Fiction and Fantasy Artists. In 2014, she was chosen, by vote, as a famous game designer to be featured as the King of Hearts for Flying Buffalo's 2014 card deck, Famous Game Designers. And she's not retiring just yet. Liz continues to do art and illustrations as a freelancer, and she's worked on scenarios and designs for Wasteland 2. When I first discussed Liz Danforth, I mentioned she'd spent some time working in academia. When the American Library Association had a project to explore how gaming can be used to improve problem-solving and literacy skills, Liz was tapped to be a part of the project. She worked to develop a model gaming toolbox for gaming in libraries, and those ideas were shared with libraries around the United States. 
From May 2009 to December of 2011, she wrote the Games, Gamers, and Gaming blog and column for Library Journal, promoting the use of games in libraries. She continues to speak at fan conventions and libraries on gaming-related topics. And as of the recording of this show, she's based out of Arizona and, like I said, continues to freelance her passions in art and writing. Last up on our tour today, but certainly not least, let's be clear about that, is Ken St. Andre. Kenneth Eugene St. Andre was born on April 28, 1947 in Ogden, Utah. Ken's another gaming celebrity who doesn't share a lot of information about himself that isn't directly related to his work, and I'm okay with that, except it makes backgrounding them for this show a little more difficult. Now, we told this story when we covered Tunnels and Trolls, but for those who might not have heard that episode, it's a story that bears repeating. Ken came into contact with Dungeons and Dragons for the first time right around April of 1975, and once he's seen it and experienced it, he decided... No, sir. He didn't like it. So instead of just hating on the game and walking away from the hobby, he decided instead to create a game of his own. A simpler game. That was Tunnels and Trolls, and he self-published the first edition, which was 100 copies in 1975. As we mentioned already in today's tour, he asked Rick Loomis to take 40 copies to Origins in July of 1975 to sell for him, and those sold so quickly that Loomis's Flying Buffalo picked up the rights and published the second edition in December of that year. And not only was St. Andre the creator of Tunnels and Trolls, he also wrote a large number of the solo adventures for the game, which allowed for players without a group to get into the experience of TNT. Ken's written so many group and solo adventures for TNT over the years, I'd spend a half an hour just getting into all of those. To me, that's taking ownership of your product. However, he's not just Tunnels and Trolls. In 1976, Ken's game Starfaring was published by Flying Buffalo. It is considered by a number of writers and historians to be the first ever science fiction role-playing game. Game 3 from the mind of Ken St. Andre was the 1976 game Monsters Monsters, which was released by Metagaming Concepts. Now, we talked about that game for a bit in our Flying Buffalo episode. It's the game where you take the role of a monster trying to escape a dungeon. Flying Buffalo bought the rights to release the second edition of Monsters Monsters and dropped it in 1979. Okay, I know. I know I said I wasn't going to get into the specifics of TNT titles, but I can't help myself. After Rick Loomis wrote Buffalo Castle as a solo adventure for TNT, Ken wrote Death Trap Equalizer Dungeon and Naked Doom, and those both came out in 1977. And while he's done a lot of work for Flying Buffalo over the years, he's also produced content for Chaosium. Ken's responsible for designing the first licensed role-playing game from Chaosium, Stormbringer, which released in 1981. And he was such a fan of games and gaming, in 1986, he was the first editor for a fan club newsletter based on the adventure construction set which is one of those rare times a professional designer has involved themselves in leading activities for another designer's games and we've been jumping around between editions of tnt throughout this show as our various subjects have been responsible for various editions Ken got the duty for the 5.5 edition in 2005, where he came up with some new rules, new backgrounds, and new variants. When Fiery Dragon published their edition of the game, which is the seventh in the line, it was heavily revised, and Ken handled the work for that edition as well. He also wrote several adventures for this edition, including the 2007 release Hot Pursuit. In 2008, Ken modified the 7th edition of TNT, brought it into modern times, and made it a superhero role-playing game called 
power trip. Even while he was doing all of that, he kept his hands on his original creation, releasing more adventures for TNT through Flying Buffalo. Kara Kang's Random Rainbow Maze dropped in 2010, and Deep Diving and A Traveler's Tale both came out in 2011. I mentioned that famous game designer's playing card deck in Liz Danforth's profile. Ken was chosen by vote to be the King of Spades in that 2014 release. And in June of 2018, the Academy of Adventure Gaming Arts and Design honored Ken St. Andre with induction into its Hall of Fame. We do have a bit of personal information on Ken St. Andre, and I decided to put it here. He was married until 2012 and has two grown children, a son and a daughter. And after 36 years of service as a public librarian, he retired from the Phoenix Library Group on August 27, 2010. Ken St. Andre still attends conventions around the United States, so you might just be lucky enough to catch him at one near you. And with that, we've come to the end of today's tour. Next week, we're taking on another listener request. I'll tell you who made the suggestion next week, but I'll tell you the topic now. Next week, it's Game Designers Workshop. And if you have a suggestion for an upcoming episode, all the ways you can reach us to pass it along are coming up in just a moment. When you get a chance, I'd appreciate it if you check out our other podcast, Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along. We take one game system and build an entire campaign for you from scratch. Currently, we're working our way through a Deadlands Classic campaign, and as of today, we're 21 episodes into the show, 17 of which have been devoted to building the campaign. That's Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along, available wherever you get your podcasts or at our website, badgmproductions.net. The music we use for this show comes from Pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Role-playing history is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash Bad GM Prod. Twitter at Bad GMP. YouTube Bad GM Productions. Email Bad GM Productions at gmail.com. And online, our website is badgmproductions.net. Next week, we check out Game Designers Workshop, and I'm going to lay even money. We're going to cover a couple of games they've released over the years, because I bet you've heard of them. But that's next week. Until then, I'm Wayne Davis, and you're Roleplaying History.